Welcome to the Reading Room. This is Room 23. On this programme, the Reading Room Book Group reviews The Woman Who Went to Bed for a Year by Sue Townsend. One of the really good things about this book is you were straight into it and you were immediately engaged. We talk to fantasy author Georgia Twynham. They listen to my story and they know how long I've been writing and I'm still plugging away. And they're like, well, why don't you give up? We also have poetry from Adrian Silcock and another nomination for our 101 books to read before you die list. Hello, I'm John Osborne and you're listening to the Reading Room Podcast. And this is the Reading Room Book Group. I'm Paul Tyler. And uh, this month we're going to be reviewing The Woman Who Went to Bed for a Year by Sue Townsend. Uh, And I'm pleased to say we're joined by the fabulous Jill Hart here as always to put some depth into the proceedings. Good morning, Jill. Morning, Paul. Hello. Now then, one day, Eva, a wife and mother, bolts the front door and goes to bed in the middle of the day. She's not ill, she's not tired, and most definitely she is not having an affair. She's simply had as much as she can take. Now, the press blurb for this tells us that Sue Townsend, Britain's funniest writer for over three decades, has written a brilliant novel that hilariously deconstructs modern family life. But then it would, wouldn't it? Uh, Jill, late last year on The Reading Room, you picked out several books uh, to watch out for in 2012, and this was one of them. Now, did it live up to your expectations? It did. It did. I was really looking forward to it, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading. Laughed out loud in several places. And it was, yes, I thought it was a, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And uh, regular listeners will know that it's not always uh, that I get to finish books uh, through through various things, usually my own men- mental stimulus. But I, I texted you probably... You did. Two weeks into, in, into this. I know, I know, it seems like that. I finished the book, I finished the book. We rejoiced, we, uh, <laughs> and, we, and we had a party. And because of that, I felt it was such a page turner. And it was, the, the, the humour, like you say, was there. And, uh, you know, the familiarity of, of some of that humour. And uh, probably best now to bring in an excerpt from the book... Uh, and which really, I think, depicts that familiarity of the humour. He went upstairs with the glass of cold water. When he handed it to Eva, she took a small sip, then put it on the crowded bedside table. Brian hovered at the end of the bed. There was nobody to tell him what to do. She almost felt sorry for him, but not enough to get out of bed. Instead, she said, Why don't you go downstairs and watch your programmes? Brian was a devotee of property programmes. His heroes were Kirsty and Phil. Unbeknown to Eva, he had written to Kirsty, saying that she always looked nice. And was she married to Phil, or was their partnership purely a business arrangement? He had received a reply three months later, saying, Thank you for your interest, and signed, Yours, Kirsty. Enclosed was a photograph of Kirsty. She was wearing a red dress and showing an alarming amount of bosom. Brian kept the photograph inside an old Bible. He knew it would be safe there. Nobody ever opened it. And that for me, I think I think once I, that appears very early on in the book, and I think once I'd read that, that absolutely stood out, which is why I've, I've, I've picked it out to read out. And it, it sort of, I think, depicts the, the familiarity, talking about things like, you know, Kirsty yes. Orsop and location, yeah. location and whatever, you know, just bringing in that the, the sort of mundanity of, the, of life there, which really, really helps on the humour, I think. And I thought one of the really good things about this book is you were straight into it and you were immediately engaged with with Eva, with Brian, with all these really odd characters. There's everybody is very very freaky. Everybody's weird, but despite that, you warm to them straight away, and you're you're straight away engaged with them. Yeah, and I, I think it really shows the the skill mm. of the author uh, to to bring so very many clever. characters in and make you feel at home and very easy with them and recognise them uh, and visualise them straight away. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of characters in this book, aren't there? And it's done. And most of the time, they are all behaving pretty badly in some way or other. Yeah. But you still engage with them and you're warm to them. 
And I think last month, Paul, we were saying about it's important that an author likes and has kindness towards their own characters. And I think she does. And I think her warmth for her characters comes across and you're completely with her from page one. A lot of this brought out uh, the difference in my mind between creative people or people who think creatively and people who think uh, mathematically or academically. And there's a big contrast in in, in characters here that, that do that. And in Alexander, for example, one of the characters that comes on to help Eva, to help her uh, yes. you know, when, when, while she's staying in bed for, for, yes. for this year, uh, that's obviously creative. You know, he goes out and paints and that kind of thing. And in the, the stark contrast to Eva's husband, who's very, very academically minded and therefore doesn't really get on with the rest of the world. No, he's he's very much a science geek, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and spending all he spends all his time in his shed down the garden um, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. The men in sheds thing is is something I think that people talk about, but he's certainly got his own little domain down there. Yeah, yeah. I, there was a certain amount of jealousy from me on that part. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. But he was a very good. He was a very good character, and as a very scientific. Somewhere quite early on in in the text. It was a quote from Eva saying that Brian always had difficulty in recognising an emotion. And yet there is a point like, further on in the book where he's, he takes his two children to university. He gets in a lift to go and it accidentally comes back. And when the doors open, they see that he's actually crying. So there is an emotive side of him, but it is completely contained in this, as you say, this scientific geekiness. Yeah, yeah. let's pick up on those children because uh, the twins, mm. um, I didn't think there was enough of the twins in the book I thought they were such good characters that I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more of them I'd, you know, maybe there's a spin-off to be had out of this I don't maybe know, there's but... another book <laughs> yeah, and, see, yeah, and seeing what, what happens to them in the end and how, how that sort of uh, develops. But uh, they... they were pretty horrendous. They were just horrendous teenagers, weren't they? Yeah. And they were totally self-absorbed, totally unaware of everything that was going on with the adults around them. And they were, they were teenagers, they pure were. and simple. So, so looking at the characters, Eva's decided to spend um, yes. a year in bed. So that, that's the setting. Um, one of my thoughts were early on, and I'm not even sure I agree with this in myself anymore, is that it might have been nicer to just just have that whole of the action taken out in that room but i suppose that's been done hasn't it you know in various other things but uh, but I, I, like i say and then I, on I, the other side you want more of the twins so i know, you know i know yeah and i'm con- i'm a i live with this i'm a perfect yes. contradiction to myself um so that that was an idea earlier on where i thought that might have been but i, I think that you know the, the, it was the right decision to move it around and about so otherwise it would and part of the stayed. action that does carry on as eva carries on being in bed and becomes known for this it becomes national uh, national and local news people start Start camping out outside to try and see her so although she's still in bed and the bedroom is the focus it does move out that way as well so it, it is all quite contained that part of the story yeah yeah and bringing all those characters in um there were there were characters you feel really sorry for like uh, her mother for example you know and that there was such a well both mothers are completely batty yeah yeah, they wonderfully were. so they were, but the, the sympathy that the, the, the author brings out for the, for Ruby, um, the, the Eva's mm. mother, was just you know really really heartfelt and, and and you know and just absolutely spot on. Really, we will talk about the humour a bit more, I'm sure. But one of the things that I thought was quite touching is when she balances the humour of the situation, as in Ruby's battiness, with her strong religious belief. They have, there's a little passage with Eva where she talks about God. Ruby has a very strong belief in God, but their conversation is all about what sort of dog he would have. So it's the humorous side. That, so even something as serious as that, the fact that she's using the humor to balance it out, and it may actually made Ruby a, a rounded character, I felt. Uh, now it's time to hear from our email reviewer, Cathy. Good morning, Cathy. Thanks, uh, thanks for sending this in. And uh, Cathy says about the woman who went to bed for a year. 
I was excited about reading this book and was looking forward to humour galore and a light-hearted, thought-provoking look at life. Sadly, I was disappointed. I felt the book lacked depth and found the main character, Eva, immensely irritating. As the book unfolded, I was hoping to have more understanding and empathy for the characters, but this did not happen. They just became more unlikable. There was some humour, but not nearly enough, and overall I was left wondering if I'd missed the point. Um, Now, I can kind of understand Cathy's frustration there I think there might be a little bit of middle class sympathy things coming out there but as we, we were talking earlier uh, Jill about lists I and mean, there's a lot of lists there in the book about what you know for example what Eva would no longer have to do. I think the humour comes out in various ways some of which I was not quite as comfortable with but particularly the lists of things I thought were, were very funny she makes she has a list of pointless dom- domestic activities that she no longer has to carry out Yeah. And although her life is very middle class and very boring, it actually shows a great lack of of, of happiness and a great shallowness in it. But it's very funny when listed in all the things that she has to do. She makes a list of things that you have to do for Christmas when Brian has to take on doing Christmas for her. And this goes on for about two pages and it's absolutely horrendous. And it's something that nobody but the person doing it would ever see. Uh, there's a list of the stuff that you keep under the bed for sentimental reasons, and all the. That, I think that's one way that I thought all those list passages were, were very funny. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. I did. I really like those. I mean, I was going to uh, read those as our excerpt this morning, but they were too long. Yeah. I mean, you know, they just go, <laughs> and that was kind of the point of them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, if we look at the plot, a woman who went to bed for a year, the title says it all, really, yes. about, uh, about the plot. But then as it gets, and we need to be very, very, as usual, need to be very sensitive towards uh, the end of a book, don't want to give too much away. But there's what Cathy was saying there about depth. I think the depth comes towards the end I do and it, it actually I felt it came in literally in the last few pages we won't give any spoilers away we won't spoil the end but th- there is a thought provoking twist at the end when y- you do realise that this could be a serious situation that somebody actually who takes to a bed for the year actually isn't completely healthy yeah to yeah. do that and she, she'd given the impression of being very much in control but obviously she is not yeah but what takes that away and makes it such a funny book is all the slapstick humour that she puts all the way through and slap if you can call language a slapstick technique I don't know um, particularly when she's dealing with situations where people have died she's talking about uh, at one point a lady in a wool shop who's died by falling on her own knitting needles somebody's <laughs> talking about father who died on the production line and nobody realised till the chicken pie started coming through with no mushrooms and, and it's, it's this use of language and the use of contrasts all the time to make things funny. And it is the contrast all the, t- all the time that makes things funny, I think. OK, OK. So if we're going to uh, recommend or choose to recommend in a simple yes or no, and we're gonna, I'm going to be strict with the yes or no this time. Okay. Jill, yes. yes, I'm going to say yes. Cathy says no. Cathy, sorry, overruled. Uh, now, if we look at Townsend as an author, I mean, last, well, I think we've mentioned before on, uh, on this section when we were talking about Sue Townsend and bringing this book in about Adrian Mole, and you were very surprised that I'd not read. I was uh, yes. read that before, but you know, I'm <laughs> immensely thinly read. Um, but you know, Townsend's an author; she, she's got some kind of authority, hasn't she? She has, and I think for a lot of us, of um, various ages she, we've almost grown up <laughs> with Adrian Mole haven't we um, he's now as we said I think last time we talked about it um, 30th anniversary this year so he's 43 and three quarters this year and a lot of people have grown up with Adrian Mole right through the years like they did with Harry Potter almost 
different generation but similar idea yeah i mean i, I could i could make a, a commitment now to <laughs> to go back and read it but i think i think we all know i won't i'll probably just look something up on youtube um okay so if you want to find out more from, about adrian moll's 30th anniversary and what's happening with that suetownsend.co.uk thanks as always to jill for uh, coming down and reviewing next month we're going to be reviewing driving jarvis ham uh, a novel by jim bob who uh, made up one half of carter the unstoppable sex machine the reading rooms 101 books to read before you die this is Peter Kerr, and one book that I'm actually I haven't finished reading it, but it, it's about the Italian immigrants who came to, to Britain uh, well over a, a century ago. Whatever town we live in, we've got a, a, an ice cream shop or, or a fish and chip shop that's run by Italian families. And there's a woman in Edinburgh called Mary Contini who runs a very uh, well known delicatessen in Edinburgh called Valvona and Crowler. And she's written a book called Dear Olivia, which is all about her family's background when her great-grandfather, young shepherd, walked all the way from Italy to Edinburgh, in this case, uh, with nothing. Illiterate, couldn't read or write, no money. And eventually, I think now they're probably millionaires, but it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story, and I'm sure that Mary Contini's story is one that's, uh, that's duplicated by Italian families all over Britain. And now I'm very, very pleased to welcome to the Siren FM studio, uh, Georgia Twynham. Good morning, Georgia. Good morning. Can I talk now? Yes, you can. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, uh, this uh, this interview is taking place uh, in our in our live program. Uh, something we uh, we very rarely do. You're very uh, welcome to be on this uh, this hallowed ground this morning, Georgia. Thank you. And um, you've managed to uh, keep quiet all morning, haven't you? I have, which is a miracle, really. In itself. I, I, yeah. Anyone that knows you it will. Must be Sunday. They'll know that. Okay. Now um, you're about to release your third book in the thirteenth series what's yes. it called Niteria Rising Niteria Rising okay and uh, the title for that talk us talk us through the title is, <laughs> is is the title is that is that something that uh, just comes to you straight away is it, does it happen before you start the book did it happen halfway through the last book no um, the the title for the book came before the book this time um, and it was created by me and my 11 year old daughter who sat down one day to create the name of a planet and we went through lots of different letters and words and put bits on the front bits on the end we ended up with Niteria um, and to say I haven't changed it would be a lie mm-hmm. because poor Joe at Waterstones in Lincoln was subjected to about 50 different covers with 10 different titles because I went through a bit of a meltdown and decided it wasn't the right name. And then in the end, I came back to it and said, yeah, actually, it is. It's perfect. OK, and let's talk about that cover. It's red. Yes. You know, before your last two books have been black and white and yep. white and black in, yep. in reverse to that. So yep. uh, the choice to go full colour and what a red as well. Yeah, I mean, the first, the first book is black and white because nothing in life is black and white. Uh, the second one is white and black because it's about turncoats, people flipping sides. So I flip the colours. That's how it works in my brain. Mm-hmm. And Niteria Rising is about war. It's about a full out you know, war, how does war go, what's war about? And I think red is a very much a war colour. So that's what I went for. Okay, well, let's, do, let's just step back a bit and, and have a little look at the 13th series because there will, believe it or not, there'll be some people listening to this who've not heard of you I before. Know. I know, I mean, I know. crazy people. Um, so the 13th, talk us through the 13th and really the character, Val Saunders. Um, she's just about to turn 18 and she finds out that she's not what she thought she was, which is quite a common storyline, really. But the best part for me is that she's British and she's a superhero and it's all set in, in the UK and there's like a Scooby gang of her and some other characters. And it's full on adventure. The first one was written very much 13 chapters, 13 adventures, very much Flash Gordon style, start to end cliffhangers, twists and turns, just action packed all the way from the start to the end. 
and Val Saunders finds out that she's not what she thinks she is. Not, it's not all black and white when you turn 18. Yeah, and we first interviewed you just, uh, you'd released that, you just about to release your second book, yes. The Turncoats. Yes. And um, then you knew it was going to be a, a six series. I knew from the beginning, yeah. When I, when I wrote the first uh, book by hand, I knew that the story was really, really big. And I started to write, well, if there was another book, I'd put this in it. And then that would lead on to this and this would lead on. And it ended up with six books. Okay, so even now when you're writing, do you get that and you think, right, this is going to happen in the, in the final book? This yes, absolutely, book yeah, from the very beginning. I knew uh, there are like plot lines that you go through in each story and then there are subplot lines that you know you can bring out later on and add to them and make them grow, but not give away enough to make the reader annoyed at you for not giving them all the information. It's yeah. quite complicated. Yeah, yeah, and in that, and taking on the, the six-book Mm. Uh, series or, or writer of any series uh, do, you, do you ever feel like oh crikey do you know what I'd like to write something else just for a little while do you ever feel like you need a break from this or is it does it ever feel too long no it's actually really enjoyable it's it, because it's like a comfort blanket I know the characters really well I'm really comfortable with them and so it's just a pleasure to go back to them again when I start writing and go okay what am I going to do to you now you yeah, know yeah and because because you're very very comfortable with your characters mm. is, that, is that something that, that perhaps now you can concentrate or you can really get excited on the plot about you know you sort of you've, you've got established characters yeah. so you don't necessarily need to worry about that yeah so you can really concentrate on the plot and introduce new planets yes and new characters the, the, this next book has quite a lot of new characters um so you can also show people how my characters that are established will react to the new characters and bring in new characters to make the readers excited again because people always like meeting new characters so you've got to keep that up they know what val can do they know what she's capable of to an extent and so we get some new people coming in but yeah it is nice because once you've established your character you can then just be full-on action and people know what to expect from her now that's true. And you're a self-published author. Yes, I am. This being your third book, are you getting used to this process now, this whole... It's exhausting. Uh, but, um, yes. Yeah, I've got it down to a T, really. I, ju- I got an email the other day from the people who published my book, and they were like, this is so. This is going so quickly because you know exactly what you're doing. And, yeah, I do. I know exactly what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're very focused. Obviously, it's, it's your baby. We were uh, talking before we came on air, really, about some music and things like that. And you were mm. very saying, you know, you're very uh, you're trying to look after every single aspect yeah. of, of the 13th. You know, yes, it's my brand. Everything that touches it, I have to make sure that it's what I would want to see with my brand. Because at the end of the day, you, you work really hard. And you don't want something to then tarnish it just because you couldn't be bothered to make make sure it was perfect. Your interaction, obviously, you're, you're very very big on Facebook, and you're heading towards two thousand fans for, you, for your Facebook page. And you, sorry, yes, you're hoping <laughs> try, <laughs> that's, that's out of your dignity zone there. I'm afraid, Georgia. Yeah. Now, <laughs> um, so you're looking for two thousand fans before uh, the, the the launch date. So you yeah. can you can look that up, and we'll be linking to it, obviously. Yeah. But uh, obviously, you do a lot of school visits. And I've seen you mm. saying, "Oh, I'm at this school today. I'm at that school today," and doing that. What actually goes on when you go inside a school? I drug all the children, <laughs> convince them that my books, tattoo them, mark them, tag them so I know where they are at all times. Um, I go in and I talk about why I got into writing, my childhood, what it was like, what inspires me, all about science fiction, the writing process. Um, and we just have full on fun for about 45 minutes. And then we have question, question and answer at the end. Um, but it's it's awesome. It's the most. I, I love it. I absolutely. I would do it every single day. So question and answers. There, we obviously ones you get quite regularly. What's, what do you think the best question or the most out there question you've you've received? One of the questions that I've asked that I think probably uh, made me think the most was two children who asked me in the same week, "Why don't you ever give up?" Really? Yeah. 
um, because they listen to my story and they know how long I've been writing and they know I want a publisher and they know I want this and this and this and I want it made into you know a film and everything else and I'm still plugging away and they're like well why don't you give up and I think that sort of reflects very much on what what children expect you to have to do to achieve and to have success you know I've been doing this for years and they're like god you're still hacking away there girl yeah, you know what yeah. are you crazy but I say to them this is my passion I can't imagine doing anything else mm. you know there is nothing else I can imagine doing so I'm just going to keep on pushing until I get the outcome that I want so I mean do you think they're, they're, they're perhaps seeing things on TV and I'll not mention any specific names you can uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but where they would just turn up say at an audition and yes. bing bang boom you're yes, on the telly absolutely you know, they're growing up in a culture where success comes three months on the television and you're made. What they don't realise is that before that, whoever, it, whoever that person is, they've probably spent their whole life training to be a singer mm-hmm. or training to be something, a dancer, you know, and, and, they, and it's the quick fix. It really is a quick fix and it's, it worries me that children grow up thinking that everything is, going to, is about fame and fortune and um, it's going to happen overnight. And now you've also you've won certainly since we last spoke. Now we came second in an award for uh, for our podcast, oh, the European good. podcast. Uh, yeah, we're we're thrilled. But you've actually won an award, haven't oh, yes. you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does that feel, Georgia? I just like, just a minute, mm, basking in my own glory. No, um, it was it was really good, and I was very proud. The reason I was proud was because it was voted for by the children. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else chooses you, but the children have to read it and they have to vote, and and it won't on children's votes. And that's the uh, the fabulous. Lincolnshire Young People's Book Award. Yep. And libraries, Lincolnshire Libraries. Oh, Lincolnshire Libraries. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, look, let's look at libraries as well. I mean, something I know that you're very, very passionate about yep. is libraries yep. and keeping them open. Yes. Uh, you know, what, what's, the, what's the, the status? I mean, I think in Lincolnshire it's been pretty good, but, you know, yeah. what's your experience from, from being around the place? In general, everybody is walking on eggshells, I think. I think everybody's very nervous about, about their own individual libraries, which is such a shame because what they cost there should be no question whether they stay open or not it shouldn't it shouldn't be a question what people don't understand is it's not just about books it's about education it's about socializing it's about going and borrowing something that isn't yours and having a time frame to return it in it gives us so many it gives children so many social skills that they wouldn't get otherwise that they they only get sort of from libraries you know and, and interacting and doing things as a family it's very rare you find a child wandering around a library on their own you know so go with your children and then maybe you get a book out it doesn't cost anything and again for people like waterstones any child that reads is a potential customer. So, you know, it's important to all of us that these children keep reading. It's important to me that bookstores stay open. It's, it's the same sort of thing, you know, but it's just a social skill that they should keep. Have you started on book four yet? Yes, I have. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? Yeah, there's, no, there's nothing going on in my life. Um, yeah, I had to because I already had ideas and not, not writing it as in the sense of writing, but plotting and planning and working out who's going to make it to book four character-wise because I've, I've introduced quite a lot of new characters. So I have to sort of start and pick and select who I think can make it into the next book. Okay, so playing God and killing characters off that's that. No, 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 I wouldn't say killing anybody. <laughs> just, just who makes it. All right, okay. I'm trying to drop a bombshell. I'm trying to <laughs> drop a bombshell for the, scared, uh, children. for the end of the interview. Georgia, thanks so much for coming You're down welcome. today. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Richard Herring. Hello, this is Georgia Twynham. Hi, this is Mark Kermo. This is Tony Hawkes. This is Karen Maitland. This is Brandon Cleary. And you're listening to The Reading Room. The Reading Room. The Reading Room. On Siren 107.3 FM. When we first had the idea for The Reading Room, one of the first poets to show an interest in recording their work was Adrienne Silcock. However, time was not on our side as she left to go travelling. Look 
luckily for us though she has returned with a folder full of poems and a new pamphlet out too. Exile was written whilst on her travels. It was during the riots of 2011 and captures using numbers to separate the verses. The feelings of anguish about being away from her loved ones. Exile. One. I drifted south, weary of the old sparrings, the country's slow detrition. I'd found alternatives and a long hot summer. I reached back home with longing fingers on square black keys. Talked to you through broken sentence and delay. Heard my own voice mimic back, my words dodging yours. Both tired, we bid each other good night, speak soon. The day your email comes, your world's gone wild. I gaze at images, a car couched in a rose of flames, buildings shivering with fire, youths scatter like marbles along city streets, windows an undone jigsaw puzzle, batons, combat vests and helmets, a black face talking to the press, and in the background figures forking into shops for goods, like sale day, no price nor priceless or worth at all, me here, you there, we watch the sky bruise to darkness. 2. A thousand miles away, it could be ten. Events expand distance to impossibility. Recall the time you texted me from school, your friend truanting in a nearby street, asking if there was any point in going on. Heart in mouth, I ran all the way to find a ransacked mind, red curlicues across her wrists, nursing an anger at the world, the unfair hand that she'd been dealt. We need words, not wounds, to heal. 3. Those youths run like wolves at night, scarcely know what they run from or to, live an exile beyond the screen, have seen their mothers suffer and smelt urine on the stairs. Do they still know how to dream? 4. Snowdrops surprise, full, round, white, promise a homecoming like stars on a cloudy night. Scenes scribe into my imagination, well-tended English gardens, oak trees, squirrels. Snowdrop pearls reflect sunlit narrative without properties of mirrors, open like hearts, tentative. Thanks for listening to The Reading Room. In our next programme, we'll be talking to crime author Ellie Griffiths and find out what happened when I visited a writer's circle. See you then. <laughs>